welcome to Science is Funny. I'm your host, Private, a.k.a. Avery Adams. I'm 10 years old and currently in the fifth grade. Joining me today is Skipper, a.k.a. Craig Jurenji, who is a 68-year-old fossil. Not funny, Private. Kind of funny, Skip. We have a shout-out today for Power Book for Kids. Thanks for the kind words. And now, our podcast. Ah, oh, Skipper! How come I can't get this right? It still comes out wrong! Calm down, Private. For many reasons, sometimes things just don't work out. Did I ever tell you the story about a famous scientist who did everything right, but still got it wrong? Probably. You do tell me a lot of stories. You just make them up. Hey, I don't make up those stories. Hmm, mostly. (sighs) So, what's with this guy that did everything right, but still got it wrong? Oh, so you do want to hear it. I think curiosity is one of your best features. Just tell me already. (laughs) Great. Okay, so the guy's name is Jan Van Helmont. He was a Flemish physician and chemist in the 1600s. In 1634, he was arrested by agents of the Roman Inquisition for the crime of studying plants and other phenomena. But while under arrest, he continued to think about how plants grow. What? He was arrested for studying plants? We learned that in, like, First grade! That's crazy! What was the Roman Inquisition? They sound like big jerks. (laughs) A whole private. The Roman Inquisition was part of a series of inquisitions and are some of the darkest times in the world. They lasted about 300 years, starting with the medieval in the 1200s, and then came the Spanish, and finally the Roman Inquisition. Many thousands were killed, imprisoned, and tortured. But why? Well, inquisitions were meant to suppress other religions, types of free thinking, or scientific studies, like those studies from Galileo and many others that the Catholic Church and kings and queens at the time just didn't like. What were they afraid of? They didn't want anyone to question their right to rule, which they believed came from God. Today, some people still want to suppress scientific inquiry when it doesn't say what they want it to say. So that's why you don't like kings, queens, and dictators. Wow, don't we ever learn anything? Guess we never will. It seems many haven't. As time goes by, people forget how bad it was under absolute rulers who had the authority to kill you for any reason. Anyway, let's go back to Von Helmet. You see, at that time, most people thought that plants got their weight and grew by taking dirt that they're grown in. Are you saying that they don't? So how do they get bigger? Patience, private patience. Von Helmet didn't think it came from the dirt either, so he decided to do an experiment. Remember, good experiments help to point you towards the truth. So what did he do? In his experiment, he carefully weighed out a young willow tree shoot, and then he planted it in a large container. He placed soil in the container that he carefully dried and weighed also. Then, whenever the willow needed it, he watered it, and he did this for five years. Five years? Wow, that's a long experiment. What did he find out? Well, he kept careful records of the amount and the weight of the water, and then, after the five years was up, he reweighed the willow tree and the soil again. So, what did he find? The willow tree grew from five pounds, or about 2.2 kilograms, to 77 kilograms, or about 169 pounds. So, it gained about 164 pounds, or 72 kilograms. But the dry weight of the soil had only lost 57 grams, or about 2 ounces. The dirt only lost 2 ounces? Then the weight had to come from the water. That's the only thing left. Easy. Pretty good experiment, though. Nailed it. Uh, wait. 
You said he did everything right, but still got it wrong. How did he get it wrong? He did everything right. He took good notes. He wrote down and kept track of everything. Did he add up the weights wrong or something? (laughs) No, he checked and double checked his results and they all came out the same. So he and you and everyone else came up with the same results. The weight had to come from the water. And when he published it, everyone agreed that the weight came from the water and he and everyone were wrong. So first, people thought that the weight came from the dirt, and they were wrong. Then they thought the weight came from the water, and they were still wrong. That doesn't make sense. There's nothing else. So where did the extra weight come from? Well, it took a 100 years before that question was finally answered, and it had to wait until a new discovery was made that no one knew at the time. What was discovered? A man named Nicholas de Saussure discovered that carbon dioxide was needed by plants to perform photosynthesis, and carbon dioxide hadn't been discovered yet in von Helmut's time. Carbon dioxide is a molecule. It's made from one carbon and two oxygen atoms. Oh, okay, but what's photosynthesis? Photosynthesis is a word that's made up of two other words, photo, which means light, and synthesis, which means to make. To make light? How can you make something with light? Isn't it like energy or something? (laughs) I love you. That's right. Great memory. The light that comes from the sun is the energy that plants use to break carbon dioxide and water molecules. You remember that water is made of oxygen and a couple hydrogens, right? Of course I remember. Why? Well, we talked about how important carbon is to living things. Yeah, it's used to make a lot of the parts that living things are made of. You're sure right about that. Just about all the parts living things are made of are made with some carbon, oxygen, and some hydrogen. What do plants do with it? When a plant breaks the carbon dioxide and water molecules, it uses the carbon and the oxygen from the carbon dioxide and the hydrogen from the water to make glucose. It's a sugar. Why is that important? Glucose is a fuel. Fuels store energy, like batteries, oil, and gas. That energy is used for the plant cells to make the cell work, to keep it alive. Plants also join glucose with other sugars to make other important structures for the plant. Didn't you say our cells need glucose for energy, too? Yep. All that glucose that the plant and animal cells need has to come from the photosynthesis that takes place in green plants. So the plant uses carbon dioxide and water to make its parts. Why are you saying that the extra weight comes from the carbon dioxide, not the water? Water is a lot heavier than a gas is. It doesn't make sense. Where does the extra weight of the plants really come from? Remember, Private, only the hydrogen from the water is used. The oxygen is thrown away into the air. The carbon and oxygen from the carbon dioxide has a combined weight of 44. The two hydrogens from the water only has a combined weight of two. So you see, the weight of the plant mostly comes from the carbon dioxide gas, not from the water. So he did the experiment right, but because carbon dioxide hadn't been discovered yet, he got the answer to his question, where does the weight of a plant come from? Wrong. Exactly. So perhaps you'll have to wait 100 years, too, to solve the problem you're working on. And when you do solve it, maybe you'll win a Nobel Prize, just like Madame Curie did. Not funny, Skipper. Kind of funny, Private. I have heard of Marie Curie, but why is she so famous? Yay, time for some research. Oh, brother. Okay. So, Private, isn't she the coolest woman ever? Well, except for your mother and your grandmother. Wow, she was awesome. So tell me what you found out. Skip, did you know that Marie Curie was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize and the only person to win in two different fields? It's so cool. 
Private, refresh my memory. What fields did she win in? The first one was in 1903, and it was for physics. It was her work on radioactivity, and the second time in 1911 for chemistry. It was awarded for her discovery of the elements radium and polonium. Very good. Wow, she was so smart. It must have been easy for her. No way, Skipper. She had a very hard time growing up. She couldn't even go to college. Why was that? Because she was a girl. It's so unfair. <laughs> That's right. Back then, people said girls belong in the home, cooking and cleaning and raising children. They said girls didn't need school to do those things, so only the boys were educated. And even though many of the girls were as smart or smarter, they never got the chance to show it. So tell me more about her life growing up. She was born in 1867 and was named Maria Sklodowska. She lived in Poland, which was part of the Russian Empire. She was the fifth and youngest child of well-known and well-respected teachers. Hey, like you. Yes, my mom and dad are both teachers. Both the father's and mother's families lost all their property and all their money because they were involved in the Polish national uprisings, trying to regain Poland's independence from Russia. Her father taught mathematics and physics, subjects that Maria loved. After the Russians stopped the Polish schools from teaching laboratory science, he brought a lot of his equipment home and instructed Maria on how to use them. He was eventually fired and had to take low-paying jobs. Wow, a girl who loved mathematics. So why was her father fired? Because he was involved in the Polish independent movement. Oh right. Maria's mother died of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. When Maria was only ten years old. That's terrible. What's tuberculosis? Tuberculosis. I... Uh... It's a terrible disease of the lungs. It's caused by bacteria and is spread from person to person. Back then, there were no antibiotics like penicillin to treat it, so many people died. Three years earlier, Maria's oldest sister had died of typhus. What's typhus? That's uh, another terrible disease that's caused by bacteria. And again, because there were no antibiotics available to treat it, many people died of it. When she was ten, she attended a boarding school for girls, and she graduated in 1883 when she was 16. She couldn't go to college because she was a woman, so she and her sister Bronislawa became involved in a secret floating university. Why was it called a floating university? It moved around so it wouldn't be found out by the Russian rulers. It was a Polish patriotic college that allowed women students. Oh, I get it. It floated around the city. Girls sure had to go to a lot of trouble just to go to school and learn. In some countries, girls still can't go to school. Seriously, Skip? That's cray cray and not fair. <laughs> you got that right, so Private.、Unfair. Tell me more about Maria. Maria had an agreement with her sister Bronislawa that she would give her money for her to go to medical school in Paris. In return, her sister promised to help her two years later. So Maria took a job as governess and home tutor for two years with a family who were relatives of her father. While working for the family, she fell in love with their son Casimirez.、Uh, his parents rejected her because she was so poor, and Casimirez could not go against them. In those days, children always did what their elders wanted. Those were the good old days, huh? I think people should marry who they want to. But sometimes children don't make good choices, especially when they fall in love. Moving on, Skipper. He never forgot her. Even as an old man, famous mathematician, he would sit and look at a statue of her. That is so sad. What happened to her next? In 1890. 
Bronislawa, who a few months earlier married a Polish physician, invited Maria to join them in Paris. But she declined because she could not afford the university tuition. It would take her a year and a half longer to get enough money. But during that time, she, he could educate herself by reading books, studying at the floating university, and began practical scientific training in the chemical laboratory. Wow, she wasn't going to let them win. She was going to learn. In 1891, she left Poland for France. In Paris, she would become known as Marie, and she lived with her sister and brother-in-law for a short time before renting a small apartment near the University of Paris. There she began her studies of physics, chemistry, and mathematics. She had so little money that she couldn't afford to heat her apartment in the winter and often went so long without food that she would faint from hunger. I wonder how many people today would suffer so much just to get an education. That same year, Pierre Curie, who was an instructor at the School of Physics and Chemistry, entered her life. They met because he was able to find some space for her so she could build a small laboratory and begin her work. So how did they fall in love? Their love of science brought them closer and closer until Pierre Curie proposed marriage, but Marie said no. No? Why? because she was planning to go back to Poland. In the summer of 1894, she returned to Poland and visited her family. She applied at the Krakow University, but was denied because she was a woman! <sighs> so unfair. Then a letter arrived from Pierre that convinced her to return to Paris to earn her PhD at the University of Paris. What's a PhD? A PhD is the highest level of educational degree that you can earn. When you have a PhD in your field, people know that you know your stuff. So she returned to Paris to continue her studies, and in 1895, they were married. Neither wanted a religious service, and instead of a bridal gown, she wore a laboratory outfit. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? How did she start to study radiation? In 1895, Rowan Jen discovered the existence of X-rays, but no one knew how they were produced. In 1896, Becquerel discovered a uranium salts that emitted rays that resembled X-rays and seemed to arise from uranium itself. But because of these discoveries, Marie decided to look into uranium rays as a possible field of research. She hypothesized that the radiation was coming from the atom itself. Do you remember what a hypothesis is? Of course, it's what you think is the answer to a problem based on what you know about it. And it's sometimes called an educated guess. Very good. And this was an important hypothesis because at the time, atoms were thought to be the smallest part of matter and couldn't be broken down to anything smaller. So this was an important step in disproving that. She hadn't even gotten her degree yet. In 1897, her daughter Irene was born. To help support her family, Marie began teaching and continued her research into radiation. The Curies did not have a laboratory of their own. Most of their research was carried out in a converted shed next to the School of Physics and Chemistry. The shed used to be the medical school's dissecting room. There were holes and walls, and the roof leaked. Skip, isn't radiation dangerous? Well, at the time, no one knew what even radiation was so or how dangerous it could be. So they didn't have any protection. Her husband was so interested in what Marie was doing that he dropped his own research into crystals to work with her. In July 1898, Curie and her husband published a paper announcing the existence of a new element which they named polonium for her native Poland. On December 26, 1898, the Curies announced the existence of a second new element which they named radium for the Latin word ray and they also coined the word radioactivity. Wow, well, that was pretty nice of her naming a new element after her country. Yeah, a country that wouldn't even allow her to go to college. <laughs> now private, remember, it wasn't independent then. It was ruled by Russia. Ah, uh, 
Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, in 1903, Marie was awarded her doctorate degree from the University of Paris, and her and her husband were invited to the Royal Institution in London to give a speech on radioactivity. But because she was a woman, she was not allowed to speak, so her husband had to give the speech himself, even though it was mostly on her research! Ah! Men were so stupid back then! <laughs> even today, some women don't earn the same amount of money for the same work as men. The struggle goes on. In December 1903, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences awarded Pierre Curie, Marie Curie, and Henry Becquerel the Nobel Prize in Physics. At first, the committee had intended to honor only Pierre Curie and Henry Becquerel, but a committee member alerted Pierre that Marie wasn't going to be included because she was a woman, and after he told them that it was mostly her research, Marie's name was added and so Marie Curie became the first woman to be awarded a Nobel Prize. Wow. Marie gave much of her first Nobel Prize money to friends, family, students, and research associates. She insisted that money, gifts, and awards be given to the scientific institutions she was associated with rather than to her. Wow, that's pretty noble of her, giving some money to her family, like maybe a grandfather. Not going to happen, Skipper. Okay, fine, maybe mm. I'll give you a penny. <laughs> in April 1906, her husband was killed in an accident. Marie was devastated. One month later, the physics department of the University of Paris hired her, so she became the first woman to be a professor at the University of Paris. She earned it. Finally, some recognition for all her hard work. Yeah, it took a while. Five years later, she was again awarded the Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry for the discovery of the elements radium and polonium, becoming the first and only person to win two Nobel Prizes in two different fields. She died in 1934 of anemia, probably from her long-term exposure to radiation. What do you mean by long-term exposure? No one knew there were any health risks from radiation, so Marie would carry test tubes containing radioactive material in her pocket, and she stored them in her desk drawer. She was also exposed to a lot of x-rays from equipment she used during the First World War. Her many decades of exposure to radiation caused her to be very sick, including near blindness due to clouded eye lenses. To this day, her papers are so radioactive that they're considered too dangerous to handle and are kept in lead-lined boxes. Skip, even her cookbook is highly radioactive. Wow, she sure sacrificed a lot for science and for our understanding of radioactivity. Thank you, Marie Curie. Got that right, Skipper. Yay, science! time for another episode of Science is Fun E. Oh, and don't forget to visit our website at www.scienceisfune.com or listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or just search for Science is Fun E in the podcast section of your favorite podcast app. To suggest possible topics for upcoming episodes, email topics at scienceisfune.com. And remember, you could win a Science is Fun E t-shirt if you send in a suggestion and we use it in an episode. You can email me at private at scienceisfune.com or skipper at scienceisfune.com. I'm private, aka Avery Adams, hoping you have a great week. TTFN.